Okay. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Bryn. I forget our <laughs> intro. <laughs> I'm Stephanie. And I'm Bryn. And we're two writers with a lot of questions. So to answer those questions, each episode we're inviting a fellow writer to talk about their work. And other stuff. Welcome to Shitty First Drafts. On today's episode, we are talking with Lance Dyzak, who is a good pal of mine. I met him first when we were doing... Um, the master's degree together and Lance went on and is now doing the PhD at UT um, so he is continuing the thing and doing more of the writing things and mm-hmm. is currently victory laps just finished <laughs> yeah what the second your second year uh third year third year so I'm in the of the PhD oh I, we're, I, we're supposed to record this like he's not in the room aren't we I don't know Oh. Lance is in his third year. <laughs> no, it's okay. Lance is in his third year of the PhD at UTK. Um, so he just finished comps. And we are Yay. so excited that we get some time today with him to talk about his fiction. Yeah. So away we go to the bio. <laughs> Lance Dyzak is a PhD student in fiction at the University of Tennessee, where he's writing his first novel. His work has previously appeared in Southwest Review, Southern Indiana Review, New Limestone Review, and Per Contra. He's also the co-director of the Only 10 I See reading series here in Knoxville, which will kick off in September. Woo! Yay! Welcome! Welcome, Lance! Thanks, guys. Um, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> um, so, like, the summer's still early-ish, so yeah. um, I'm not feeling anxious about semester so yeah I'm doing well good that's a nice place to be in yeah <laughs> yeah last like two days and you're like no it's almost over <laughs> yeah yeah it goes really fast when you have a summer off um so I think we Stephanie Stephanie and I are both really interested to hear about your kind of trajectory as a writer um because we both know that you took sort of a non-traditional path but don't know the full story so um if you could kind of tell us how you got into writing and sort of what twists and turns your road road to writing um yeah like <laughs> boy how far do you want me to go back like, day one day birth. one <laughs> um yeah well I, th- I think i think you're right like I, it was like a um like a non-traditional path i didn't do the mfa till i was in my mid-30s so um I was a structural engineer for uh, years. I worked in the private sector doing that thing, and I kind of hated it <laughs> a lot. I've always been interested in writing and reading. I've always been sort of, I've had like a, um, I've always been interested in it. Um, I've always been a writer, um, but never had time for it. Just it's the old story. Yeah. Um, recession hit around 2008 or so, and um, I uh, got, <laughs> My hours cut on my job, oh. and uh, you know, lots of bad stuff. But like the silver lining was that I had tons more time to direct toward writing and especially reading. And I was like, you know, I hate my job, and I'm actually happier with working less hours. So I started looking into um, programs, mm-hmm. and so like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, this is probably pretty boring, but like, <laughs> no, I think um, it's interesting. So I mean, long story short, I. Uh, I got into to UT. I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to be a creative writer or, or get into literature. Mm-hmm. Just sort of, I applied to both, 
and decided to do the MFA. UT was a brand new MFA program at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I, I, I was excited to be a part of that. So um, yeah, but I mean, I guess in terms of like, do you mean like, um, like why I started getting into writing or like what, like what were my first? Well, I want to know what a structural engineer does. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it doesn't seem entirely relevant to the podcast, but I'm very interested. Uh, what do they do? What do I used to tell my mom? Like, uh, so yeah, like dumb I can't, it down as far as possible. I've never done a thing where I could tell my parents like what it is I do. Yeah. Uh, like, a structural engineer works for an architect, and basically they create the drawings that they need to make. The architect like shows everybody like what it's supposed to look like, yeah. And the engineer, the structural engineer, tells them how to make it stand up, basically. Yeah, does the oh, math? I see. So, the math, like, that's sure. not gonna Art. work, buddy. Right. So you get into lots of like boring arguments about like how many windows you can have, <laughs> yeah, and, sort of stuff, and so. what they can be made of, right. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Right. And and right, soul crushing. <laughs> um, how many years were you doing that kind of work? Oh Christ. Uh, let's see. 13 years wow, okay. or so. So you're in it for a while. Yeah. Um, right. And I mean, I, I think that there was good, uh, I always look back and think, well, what if I would have figured it out sooner? And I, mm. what if I would have like started applying, if I knew what grad, even like what the programs were, if yeah. somebody would have told mm-hmm. me like, Hey, you've got, you can write some shit. Like maybe you should think about, um, doing something else. Yeah. But you know, um, I, pre- I'm almost hundred percent sure that I would not have been able to, I wouldn't be doing the thing that I'm doing now if I had started earlier. Yeah. Like a lot of times I wish I would have had maybe an extra five years to, um, to get, uh, some stories out there and that sort of thing. But I don't regret, um, the time I spent as an engineer because it, um, I definitely don't take what I'm doing for granted now. Like I feel very Mm -hmm. lucky to be in a program as supportive as, as supportive as it is at UT and, um, I've got a pretty decent uh, yeah. thing going on there. so Yeah, that's really cool. That's definitely a, a good perspective because I do think that there are a lot of people that kind of take it for granted or forget how lucky we are to, like, get to study words and, right. like, right. <laughs> and write stories. That said, like, like, I just, piss and moan all the time. No, I know. So. I'm yeah. a huge, I was a huge whiner. Oh, my God. Class. I mean, that's like, about 45% that's of friends. grad school. <laughs> Like, like you can I tell for sure. We were just like bitching about how shitty things were. Like if you ever need to like piss him on, I'm the person to come Lance to. Is like ten thousand percent the person. I don't get tired of listening to it because I agree with ninety nine percent of it. Like it's a lot of bullshit. Like, there would be times when we're at the bar and we'd both be like sidling up to get another beer, and Lance would be like, "How's it going?" And I'd be like, "Ugh," and he would just like physically turn more towards me <laughs> and be like, "I am ready," and I was like, "Yes, Unleash. okay, I'm going to just go for it." Um, you have to. Yeah, you've got, I mean, yeah. To, in order to stay sane, I think you just got it then. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's all beside the point. Um, I think I'm curious about, so you said that you've always been a writer. So was it something that you were doing as far back as, like, childhood? No, or? not like that. Like, um, <laughs> no. Did you just come to it a little bit later? Yeah, I, I did. Like, um, so, um, <laughs> gosh, uh, I used to... Um, the way I came around to like thinking about writing stories or even like the, like the idea of like becoming, I've always been 
I don't know. I suck. What's weird is I sucked at math in high school. Yeah. I sucked at math in college. Like I had to retake classes and shit. And I would always do really well in like the reading, like the, any literature courses that I like yeah. you had, you were quote unquote right. had to take or whatever. And it never occurred to me like that. Maybe you're doing the wrong fucking thing. Like <laughs> maybe your skills are um, other. Yeah. Right. But um. You were like, I don't know. I'm gonna be an engineer. Right. Because that's what you were supposed to do, and so yeah. I did, and I was miserable. Like, but like, um. Oh, but so like uh, the way I sort of got into like the train of thought of like creating physical or not physical but just like creating chunks of writing for other people to read like it never occurred to me until i, I would get on um very early like online discussion forums mm-hmm. um this is probably like oh this is a big theme like early aughts <laughs> okay blogs just yeah. really or weird just like online forums yeah, yeah. online forums it wasn't yeah. more so i wasn't really into blogs but like in the early aughts uh there was like a big sort of community or, or yeah just mm-hmm. weird uh-huh. shit like and you would anything find anything you were a fan of you could find yes. a forum for it yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but then like there'd be like these weird like offshoots of the forum you're on and like i ended up getting joining up with this like community of weird people i was sort of <laughs> in a lonely period of my life Sure. Um, and I sure, spent sure. a lot of time online so, and we would just come up with these off the wall, bizarre sort of like funny bits yeah. that only for ourselves. And after a while, um, people started to think that I was kind of good at it. And I would, like people would encourage me like, you should really like do something in it. Yeah. And that's sort of like, um, uh, planted the seed of the idea of like, Hey, maybe, maybe I'm good at this. Maybe I could do something mm-hmm. else. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of where I, where like the germ of it happened. But then I let it sit for like, you know, yeah. 10 more years or not quite 10 more years but a long number of years yeah. um before i finally got the courage to try something else so yeah well that's that's cool though that it started off in this place where i think so many people discount like online or online forums or like sam you know talking about writing fan fiction or mm-hmm. just like these um areas that are seen as like less than um but really i think that that's like i i think my first writing was like on Facebook notes when that existed or like yeah. on my, on my, um, Zango blog, yeah. you know, and I would have people that would be like, Oh my gosh, I can really hear your voice and your writing and all this kind of stuff. And it was terrible. I mean, it was absolute garbage, but like all it took was me putting something out there and having other people read it in mm-hmm. a safe space. Yes. Like, in a controlled. Yeah. Um, there was probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen other people and we were very selective about who could come into like this mm. group. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we just would swap stupid stories. I and, love it. Um, it was like a weird, we didn't know it was a workshop, but it was. I, yeah. I didn't know what a workshop was at that mm. point, but I was doing it. Um, Did your group have a name? Is it yes, embarrassing? it ended up becoming <laughs> the, oh shit, what was it? I just like wanted to know. Like, uh, it was like, the, uh, it was labs. It was Ladies Auxiliary Badminton Society. <laughs> Um, I love it. We all had different like avatars and shit. And, yeah. Like, so people ended up meeting in real. I've met several in real life a couple of times, um, but that's been years. That's so that's funny. So fun. mm-hmm. I had a friend who met like her like some really good online pals on like an anti Drew video game message board, and she like ended up meeting them in real life and was like continued to be friends with them. I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Well, and I think it's interesting too that you talk about like the science and math classes to go back to being in college. I think of my little brother, my younger brother is um, an engineer as well. And he, but he's always loved stories, you know, like he, that's how he and I bond. We like swap books and stuff. Um, so I wonder whether that's not more common than people think it is like that. Like, mm. even if you are science 
or math or like more technically minded that like there is not like you can you can be both you can it's like not a mutually exclusive thing. Do you guys have you ever heard of the Enneagram thing? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love okay. the Enneagram. So I just got into it. What's um, your number? I'm a five, I think. So I just got into it. A five, and I think Emma Wing is a four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And what's weird <laughs> is like I was on this website, and they were like, it's like list jobs of typical uh-huh. five wing fours. Uh-huh. The first two were engineer and the novelist. Yeah. So That's it's so like yeah. So because like okay, so a brief thing for people who don't know about the Enneagram. First of all, go look it up. Second of all. It's like a personality typing system like Myers-Briggs or something, but in my personal humble opinion, it does um, a better job at like not making it just like a box that you fit into, but like has a little bit more like dynamic understanding of like people's motivations and what makes people tick. Mm-hmm. So a five is like very, um, and it's been a while since I like, I legit took a class on this, so it's been a while, <laughs> um, but fives are very like info driven. They like to know things. They like take safety and and having knowledge and they're usually like very much the kind of people that you think of as um knowing a lot of things about a lot of things and then fours which i think i am much to my dismay um are the more like creative um sort of like melancholy types where they um very much are about authenticity um identity right yeah an authentic identity at whatever the cost Mm -hmm. um so they tend to be like more moody and brooding and all this kind of stuff. I think that's both of us. Yes. I might be the opposite. I might be like four wing five. Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't know. I don't. I've taken some tests and they come out different every time. Yeah. But I think on multiple occasions I've gotten four. Yeah. Well, know. and I think that like tests have their place. But what I always like to do is just read people the descriptions of the types and just have them decide what what like yeah. rings most true, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Because you know what you feel called to. And the more you read about it, the more you're like, ah, yeah, shit. Right. Anyway, not to to make this an Enneagram podcast. Welcome to our Enneagram podcast. (laughs) Which there are. There are several. Yeah, Yeah, there are a lot. It's very, it's very Um, You got got deep into it. I did. You were listening to a podcast. I did a dive, which is, I kind of, it's my type. Yeah, yeah, a deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like... The reason I brought that up was because you were saying like there there's, doesn't seem to be that uncommon. Like I get the reaction all the time, like oh you you were an engineer and you went to be went to like English, what? And like yeah. it's like well actually no, like it's actually pretty. I think it makes it so much there's sense. A lot of, yeah. yeah, especially if you're interested. I mean, ultimately, like what people who like people who are interested in like in my again personal experience, humble opinion, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it seems to be that people who are interested in the sciences are basically interested in the way things work, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, does, it makes perfect sense to me that a person who's interested in the way things work would also be interested in like how humans work. Yeah. And I think fundamentally that's what people who are interested in fiction, that's what you're trying to figure out. It's just like, how do humans work? How do relationships work? How does any of this What does it yeah. mean to be work? a human? Yeah, yeah, right. Which is like think... a cliche thing to say, but I think... It's true. Yeah. I mean, when you said, too, like, an engineer is, like, a person, or a a five, excuse me, is a person who knows a lot of things about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. also sounds like a fiction writer who's just done a lot of weird research. Yeah, a lot of, gone on some info deep dives. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) It's not not too far. Yeah, no, it really isn't. Um, I forgot to mention one thing, one funny, like, uh, I guess my path or whatever. Yeah. Like... When I was um, hating my life working f- for this uh, company, 
which will remain unnamed. <laughs> Google it. I'm sure you can find it. Uh, <laughs> but like, what was kind of awesome is that they they stopped giving a shit about me, mm. and so like I didn't go right from being an engineer to being going into an MFA. I had to like get right. some English credits, and so I was going back to school while I was working, and so like for about a year, um, I would just like piece out of my job and like go to, class. go to class and like be gone for two hours, and they didn't catch on to this for like for like. It was like my way of being like, fuck you. I was so like <laughs> yeah. mad and angry about um, uh, that whole situation. But like it felt good to do it. And that, that sort of like gave me um, another sort of like jolt of like, ugh, this is what I want to do. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Were they, so they didn't know you were doing it. No, they yeah. eventually found out. Well, I know that there are some employers that will like pay you to go to a club. But no. this is not that situation. No. No. <laughs> you were doing it on the, the low. Yeah. Down. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Um, okay, well, so today you have brought us a piece, and so we, we have a true shitty first draft here, um, and we're going to... It's not that bad. No. Oh, that's not oh. what I mean. What I mean is we it's have a, a true we have, piece of shit. Garbage, <laughs> uh, as they say. Um, no, what I mean is that it's like one one story that you've been working on, and we have the a very early draft and then um, the final polished yeah. version. So... Um, tell us about this piece. How did it come to fruition? Were you writing it for an assignment, or was it just like a story you'd been working on? No. Um, and what's funny is like the germ for the story um, ended up being the shit that I cut out because it was like <laughs> that's funny. Um, I was walking my dogs one day, and um, uh, I was on the Greenway in Knoxville, and dog at that time actually, and I came across this guy who, if you've seen the bridges that go across the creeks, like there's like um, uh, these post holes that they put in there for posts in case they need to block off the paths to cars or whatever. Mm. But anyway, this guy was like elbow deep in this post hole, like um, uh, digging up this like gunk that was in the post hole and just like flinging it onto the thing. And I was like, aha, (laughs) like that will be a story, Um, which is like the wrong way to go about writing a story and so what I ended up doing was like um trying to fit this thing that I saw or like and then build a story around it Mm -hmm. which you know I don't know it was going to be like this symbol for like this relationship Mm -hmm. falling apart and that's just the wrong way to go about building a story I mean there's no wrong way to go about building a story but like it's often unsuccessful if you just have like this big giant idea and try to like point to it with the rest of your words. Yeah. I don't yeah. know though. It seems like in the end it was successful. Like it got you, you to start writing story. and then you yeah. built you kinda like just tricked yourself like exactly. backdoor tricked yourself into writing a story or something. A normal story very- that had this very weird like <laughs> no for no reason here's a guy yeah. digging up this gunk. So yeah. yeah. It's like a weird prompt that you're like, well I have to put this in. That's what it seems like when you read it back. You're like, well this is shoehorned in there somehow. Right. Which I mean, thankfully, in the feedback I got in workshop, like, they were like, what do you, what is this? Like, why, why are you, about, yeah. it's about a baseball game, like, um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting, because it was like, it was an image that stuck with you enough, and it, I mean, in real life, it's a mystery, too, like, you don't, you never figured out why that guy was doing no. that. Yeah. So, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, I, there's a part of me that's like, well, write that story. Like, yeah, it's still going come like, back now, Write the story about that about dude, that guy. you know? Yeah. Don't try to fit it into a different story, but, like, anyway, that's beside yeah. the point. So, you started writing this, but you were 
in workshop at the time. So you did bring it into workshop. I and, did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when? Uh, how old is this piece? Oh, I want to say it's at least. I think it's two or th maybe even be three years old. At this okay. Point. Okay. So it's been a it's been a minute yeah. since you first wrote this. Yep. So where do you remember where you, was it during the masters or? It was start of PhD. Or right uh, on the. Cusp. This is like where. All the years blend together. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to say imagine. it was like the, well, it had to be the first year of the PhD, I believe. First year okay. of the PhD. So you're just settling into a, yep. a long <laughs> relationship with being a doctoral, doctoral student. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, oh, great. I think that's, those are my pre-questions. Yeah. So you're going to read us a selection that you have chosen, and that's like basically where the where the change has yeah. happened. Like the major, like the thing that was wrong with the story is what I'm gonna read. <laughs> it's a shitty first draft, which I love that essay by the way. Just as a oh, shout out so, to yeah. choosing that essay. Yeah, and, and, and Lamar, Lamar. I, I make all my our best friend and boss. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We're not being paid by Anne Lamott. <laughs> We're just trying to not get sued by Anne Lamott. <laughs> that would be uh, us paying Anne Lamott, which yeah. is different. <laughs> the opposite. Yeah. Uh, Would we be her boss? <laughs> Just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> what about... Um, <laughs> so get, give us a little bit of context. Yeah, I mean, basically the story about the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's a story about love, a story about like... Um, sounds so cheesy to say that but like um, i've never heard a story about it's, it's, love it's, well and, you know i should just there you can write a story about love i'm here to say yeah. you can write a story about love you or in this it. case like a love a love that fell apart and um there's a couple it's uh seven or eight years since they've split up and they randomly meet at a baseball game uh at rigby field uh <laughs> and they end up hooking up afterwards um and so the main character fritzy uh, thinks that this is going to lead back. She's very nostalgic and thinks like I, I fucked it up the first time. This is my chance to get him back. And so she hooks up with him back at his house, which she used to live in with him. Um, and then she realizes that this is all a big giant mistake and that like she can't get back what she had and there's there was no rekindling it. And so um, the whole story is sort of like her figuring out that like um, this was not meant to be. And she ends the story kind of on a sour note and uh, because she's kind of like. If this wasn't it, then um, <laughs> what is, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so and anyway, the first draft of the story, the gunk was supposed to be like this symbol of, of her feeling like, well, I, I can't be with this guy anymore. So, uh, yeah. Great, cool. Uh, I'll just read and just be a couple pages, I think. Uh, oh, and so the main characters are, are Fritzy, uh, Thomas is the ex, uh, Thomas Flowers, and they have a they have a dog called Murph, who is nicknamed after uh, the goat who jinxed mm -hmm. the Cubs. Yeah, for those of you who right. care about that. Okay, so <laughs> I'll read. Uh, Thomas Flowers owned a dog called Murph, named after the goat responsible for the World Series jinx. Fritzy liked to take Murph to Pulaski Park, where she could let him off the leash when no one else was around. Late summer, the geese liked to gather at the pond, and Murph looked Murph took great pleasure in making them ungathered. The path along the way was shaded by tall poplars, and there was a creek that ran alongside. Just before the park, the crowded line of trees gave way, and the creek was forded by a pedestrian bridge. The grass on either side was mowed on a constant schedule. It was cut short like bristles, and you could always see the pattern. Fritzy liked the, mute Fritzy liked the rustic wooden boards of the bridge, and she would sometimes pause at the middle for a minute and watch as the water whirled around the riprap. 
The sound of it had a narcotic effect, and sometimes Murph had to yank Fritzy sideways to get her to move. Beyond the bridge was the expanse of the, of the park, and the Kelly Green ribbon of the lawn was broken only by a few ancient oak trees scattered in twos and threes. Aside from the lake, the view here was about as long and wide as you could get in Metro Chicago. It was early morning, early morning on a Monday, and the path was deserted except for the birds. Fritzy taught a couple of night classes at Harry S. Truman, and one of the perks was being able to arrive at public places when the tide was out. She wouldn't probably have noticed from so far away, but Murph had just gone poopsies, and I just have to note here that, like, um, <laughs> me using the word poopsies, my, uh, my workshop leader at the time wrote in parentheses, nope. <laughs> I, I cringe when I read that, so. Nah. Murph had just gone poopsies, and as she tied up the bag, there was reason to look ahead. At the far end of the bridge, there was a man. She could tell he was a man by some instinct written in her, on her DNA. He was small at first, crouched down and moving with twitchy rat-like spasms between the metal rails. Something about the way his back was hunched up put Fritzy in a mood. She watched the man the whole time, trying to make sense of his movements. As he came into better focus, Fritzy could make out what he was make out that he was wearing a hooded sweatshirt and cargo shorts. His head was fixed in place, and there was a, fr a furious concentration. When she arrived at the bridge, she reeled Murph in on the retractable leash and locked it in place. Murph was 60 pounds with that don't-fuck-with-me underbite that boxers have. The bridge had a slight arch to it that partially obscured the view of him when she reached the edge. It was, just a, it was just his head and his arms that were visible. He was rooting around and flinging it. I, I, I cringed that line, too. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, you automatically go back to poopsie. Right? <laughs> she could hear the creek shushing below, and she stepped into the, onto the timber board. She could feel that it would announce her arrival to him. But when Fritzy walked to the pinnacle and the man came back in the full view, he didn't notice. He kept rooting around, and Fritz saw, Fritzy saw that his hands were going down into a hole. The bridge was equipped with holes, base holes for barrier posts. Fritzy had never noticed them before, and this man was digging. He slid his hand into it and scooped up some kind of black muck, and he flung it, stringing with rot, onto the asphalt. That awful smacking sound was like mouth noises. She unlocked Murph. She unlocked Murph's leash. The man looked down into the hole, and then he put his hand back in. His arms were streaked with the black stuff on it, and he took out another handful. He flung it off to the side where it made a dark pile. As they approached him, Fritzy let Murph go ahead, and the dog walked behind him. Still, he kept his head down. There was a defiance in Fritzy that was growing. It made her move forward to challenge him, to walk in front of him over to the black pile he was making. She was above him, looking down at the stitching of the hood, moving past when he flung it at her, and it struck her just above the knee. It was warm with rot and clung to her, clung like sick to her skin. The circuit was stopped, and the man noticed. He looked up at her, and Fritzy saw his expression flit, flit for over from fear to shame. Fritzy was stopped, and he looked over at the ooze on her leg. He made to wipe it away, timid like a child. But Fritzy, by some gut instinct, sprung backwards toward the rail. She dropped the leash, and Murph skittered away. The man put his hands down, still crouched like a sprinter in the blocks. Okay, that's the end of one section, and then just a short little bit of dialogue, just to show you what I was intending to do with this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So later, that, this is a, just a half page down, and they're back in the present. That's all background, right? Um, back when she was living with Thomas. So then there's some dialogue when they're outside the, of the park. They've just met at the park. No, Thomas, she says. I already know what killed us, silly. This is more of an update, so they just met. Fritzy lights a cigarette and offers one to Thomas, and she's amused to see him take it out of habit. You know, for about a year after I moved out, I thought we'd get to back, back together, but you never returned my calls. I'm sorry about that, Fritzy, but that was a long time ago. I just wanted to move on. It was confusing? Fritzy had anticipated that he might say something like this. She forces herself to wait a couple of beats so the words get landed. All because of the gunk on my leg. 
Uh, Thomas Flowers doesn't respond. It was so silly. Imagine if that wouldn't have happened. We could have gone on with our lives. She sees Thomas palm the cigarette, and she started to do the, he started to do the thing with his thumb again. Yeah, he says a bit gingerly. You never know. I don't know why it made me so crazy. It would have made anyone crazy, Fritzy. You felt desecrated. Desecrated was the word you used, remember? Of course I remember, Thomas. Did you know I did research, gunk research, that I actually Googled the phrase, what do people hide in post holes? I remember that you would go back out there all the time. You were obsessed. My, my legs smelled weird for a while, for a long time, Thomas. Can you even imagine what that must feel like, to feel that something has been absorbed permanently into your skin? Okay, so... <laughs> That was sort of the, the point, like uh, uh, it was supposed to be this big giant metaphor for their relationship mm -hmm. and it wasn't really the gunk, spoiler, that right, it that was like her, she, he, he was the gunk or something, I don't even really know. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, so yeah. You hadn't fully thought through it when you were writing it out. Yeah. That's why it's first draft. Yeah. That's your thinking draft. It, it, it was. <laughs> and, uh, wasn't great, but the, the poopsies thing. I read that. Thing, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it seemed like while you were reading, it, you were just like, "Oh my god!" Like in the back of your head the whole time, like, "Cut that! Cut that!" <laughs> uh, and this whole section is. Was cut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that's crazy, yeah. um, and this is kind of like a, uh, I would say a trend in all of my writing. I overwrite, mm -hmm. so like this is like something like seven thousand words long. Mm -hmm. The final product ended up being like fifty four hundred page or mm -hmm. words long. Did I say seven thousand? Pages no, you said word. No, word. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so you cut. I cut. I cut. Fifteen hundred. Yeah. Cut, yeah. Um, tell us about the title of this first draft. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> the title of this draft also went through about five different iterations. It started out being called "Touch 'Em All," which is just an awful title. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't. I couldn't even figure like, out what that was referencing. "Touch 'Em All" is like a slang term for a home run. Mm, so baseball. like you hit a home run, right? So it's very insider language baseball. Inside baseball. It also sounds really kind of creepy <laughs> if like you think about it too hard. Creepy. So like yeah, I kind of was like, is his arm down at the post hole? <laughs> Touch 'Em All. Like, and then there's this whole thing about like, like this Pokemon, weird, catch 'em all. I think of my mind. It was like, ooh, yeah, baseball plus like this creepy guy who's touching her leg. Like, yeah, but no, that's just dumb. And but then I went well, to like, connect, yeah. Then I would do this with titles. I, I mean, I could do a whole thing of titles, but like, we should do a whole first draft titles. Oh, gosh, titles are like, first of all, I, I think people put too much thought into titles because I don't think people, most readers, at least I don't, I tend to read right past titles a little yeah, bit. sometimes I do too. But this went from like, so then everybody in workshop was like, well, just take out the gunk and name it gunk. So then for a while, it was called gunk. Mm. Then it was called Plausible Explanations for Bodies because I found that in, like in a, some kind of I, uh, a friend of mine. Um, <laughs> do you guys know, well? He told me the way he names his pieces. He has a Bible, no. and like uh, or just like a thick book of like um, literary theory. Okay. And he'll like open up to a random page and like point to a passage, and like that's and his some, title. Just random, right? And so that's where Plausible Explanations for Bodies came from which didn't work. <laughs> then a friend of mine was like, you just call it innings, which I thought was, that was good. And then it ended up being called extra innings, which I think is a good like yeah. 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 And makes sense for the, like, it like adds there. meaning to the piece. Right. Too. It's a little, like, and like they play off of each other. It's a little cutesy and a little winky. Eh, but, whatever. Yeah. So that is something I was kind of curious about because it, it seems very much like the workshop in some ways really helped you shape this piece, but in others misdirected a little bit too. Like you're kind of getting a lot of different feedback that was maybe shifting it in several directions. Um, is that, did that, that feel to be the case or how, how did the workshop for this piece go? Uh, 
I remember there being a sort of debate. So like, for those of you who maybe have never been in a workshop before, many times, at least in our workshops that I've been in, there's a, this role that's called a silence where like the person whose work is being workshopped is not allowed to speak. They're just, at least until the end. And so like, you get to sit back and listen to people argue about your story, which is like terrifying and also really cool. Humbling. Humbling, yeah. yeah. But like, I remember in this workshop, like people were very um, divided over who, like should, everybody was like, keep the gunk in or, or, or take it out. Um, <laughs> and what you learn, like, uh, it doesn't take long, especially I had been, I've been in so many workshops at right. this point. Like, you get, you learn who uh, to pay attention to. Because I mean, not, not to say that, like, uh, not everybody's feedback isn't um, worthwhile, because it is. But for no other reason, it's just a generous uh, discussion. But, like, you know, you tend to know who, like, who gets your stories. Yeah, who reads you mm-hmm. well. And right. who gets Who gets it a little bit more than other people yeah right and so like people everybody who i sort of like knew to um that like i would sort of depend on yeah i trusted or like take mm-hmm. that shit out they were like, literally <laughs> take that shit out yeah. um and uh so i did like, it wasn't a hard decision to make i was like yeah. yeah this is this is gonna this is gonna go in the next draft i took that all out and i paid attention because one of the things um some of the feedback i was getting was like um well, you're writing around the heart of the story. Mm-hmm. And the heart of the story was not like some weird uh, interaction that Fritzy has with this um, sort of creepy muckflinger, right? <laughs> um, the heart of the story is uh, how they fell out of love, mm-hmm. why they fell out of love, and why it is that Fritzy isn't able to really... Because it ends up that like Fritzy sort of had a long string of... She's sort of like a serial monogamist. Mm-hmm. Mon- monog- Monogamous. I can never Monogamous. say the word. Monogamous. Thank yeah. you. Mm. Um, and so, but she's getting, um, she's getting to be toward middle age, and so she's afraid she'll never, won't be able to ever find like, all real yeah. love or whatever. And that's the heart of the story. Like, why can't she stay? And this is sort of like one of those mm-hmm. randomly that she finds again. And the heart of the story is like, portraying that, not yeah. like this. So it was easy to cut that out. That was one of the easier things to cut. But then I went through a lot of other iterations about how to exactly communicate, like, mm-hmm. um, what was wrong yeah. with mm-hmm. her outlook on, or just, like, what was broken in her. Or um, broken in the, between them. Between yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, because I was reading through that first draft, um, really curious about Fritzy and kind of, like, charmed by her way of thinking, but also, like, oh, she's just going to leave with this dude this ex and like leave the guy that she's currently seeing like in the stands and not give him a heads up that she's peacing out and you know all this you know she seemed very like um spontaneous in that way like she made quick snap decisions so it wasn't surprising to me to me that she would make a snap decision to break up with thomas Mm -hmm. um what was more curious i found myself asking more questions toward the end of the story where it's like okay why does she leave after they sleep together, and why does she um, feel good about that? Does it, you know, like, kind of, like, so, I, I don't know. Yeah. This is maybe She's, not as relevant, but. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's interesting to talk about the story anyway, even though the people listening aren't hearing it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she seems spontaneous, but also, like, in a mature way. Like, it, none of it seems, like, ultra immature. I don't know. I, I like, I mean, maybe it is in a way, but. But it seems like 
she sort of has her shit together in a real shitty way. <laughs> yeah, it all seems kind of calculated. Yeah, it's she's like, like I've, I've planned for this conversation. Yeah. And then, but then, and so she follows through, and even though he claims to be married, by the way, I love how they're, everyone like is just lying. Lying to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. I never do this in my stories, but now I'm like, I want to write a story where people are lying, and right. they come clean constantly. Yeah. I loved that. Um, but yeah, she like follows through with it anyway, even though she is like assuming he's married, mm-hmm. but I mean, maybe she knows in the back of her head that he's not. I don't right. know, but she gives zero fucks. And like, I'm sort of, yeah. I am sort of always fascinated by people who go their whole lives basically single. Even maybe she's not a serial monogamous, but like, I, I think she's one of those people that um, decided to be single. And like, I've always sort of like admired and I'll also like, um, I admire like the courage it takes to do that as someone who I couldn't be um, single my whole life. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> um, right. So um, uh, I, I'm, all, I'm sort of like, I admire the courage it takes to like face uh, a, life, a life alone, <laughs> you know, and to rely just solely on kind of a network of friends. But also, I'm also like, man, what is it about people that makes them uh, so sort of like afraid to be with somebody also? So like there's this weird... Did you write this story about me, Lance? <laughs> <laughs> no, no it's about me. Uh, <laughs> hang on, I feel called the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think, I think that that's interesting because you said that like, Fritzy's single, and it's she seems to be, and I know we're getting a lot of it as like recollection, but to me, Fritzy seemed to be single even when she was with Thomas. Like she never thought of it as like their place. Really, it was like always like Thomas's place that she moved into, yeah. which is a frame of mind I think that like indicates that it was never gonna work between the two of them. And the, right, I think uh, like her whole attraction to him again, or it's just I think it's even she's telling herself, well, maybe I'll fall in love again, but it's more like. I feel really bad. I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I want to save him. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes, like, well, that's not going to make me happy either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's funny that you say she seems single because she, like, obviously doesn't give a shit about Dave, who's just, right. who yeah. is her boyfriend <laughs> and who's just sitting I in the stands. I think Dave is most boyfriend. <laughs> like, Dave is such a boyfriend. Dave is name. single too, but he does not know it. He doesn't know it. Well, right. and is it in the second draft that you give us the amount of time that they've been, or like the number of dates that they've been on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so that made more sense to me that why she was just like, okay, mm, bye, you know? Right. Because um, it's like something like they've been on four dates. Right. So it, I was like, oh, okay, so that's why she was and like, he's really a douchebag, taking it seriously. You know? Yeah. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, hopefully that came out that he's kind of a douchebag. Yeah, no, I didn't like Dave at all. Also, in the first draft, so for our listeners, in the first draft, Dave is. We find him again sitting on the hood of her car, waiting for her, he says, for four hours. Right. So he's like... I got pushback on that. Just got like... <laughs> he was just like mad enough to wait to around. To wait around four like, hours. He's, he's like, a big enough douchebag that he's commitment. like, I'm going to stay here and wait until she gets back, no matter how long it takes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was like, no way this fucking guy waited for four hours. But... Good for you, Dave. Anyway, Dave. Douche, douchebag Dave. Um, so, so in, in going through workshop, then you, it sounds like you're saying you were able to find a little bit more like the heart of the story and what you were really interested in. Yes. Um, it's, this is the weirdest, like, um, this story that I wrote had the weirdest 
life. Like I wrote the story around the central idea. Like I wrote a second heart to the story. Like there mm-hmm. were two things going on. Um, but yeah, the workshop really helped. And then what I was so frustrated with the story because I was trying to, I was trying to, I was sending it out because I thought, I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sending it out. I didn't know what else to do with it. And I was getting rejected, getting rejected, getting rejected. I was like, what the fuck? I, I got like a couple of like, um, like almost, like, like almost. Yeah. And so then I sent it, I emailed, um, another, uh, a reader, a friend of mine and was like, what, tell me what is wrong with the story? Like, uh, and he read it graciously and gave me all kinds of feedback and, um, I was able to, I, I ended up getting it placed because of the final, but it took forever. Yeah. Like it, mm-hmm. this was, it had, I mean, it probably isn't even a whole lot to say that a story is, you know, three years in the making that our stories are probably way longer than that. Sure, but yeah. like, um, I rewrote this story probably a dozen times. Yeah. Well, and, and three years of like constant attention too is something different than like, I wrote it five years ago, I let it sit for four and I've looked at it Which again, I've, you know? And I, yeah, I think that that's how lots of time stories do work yeah. too but um well so tell me then what happened like the fact that your your friend who read it what was the advice there like what was it that changed between the sort of middle draft and the final yeah he emailed me back and we met and he had um, a markup for me and everything and it really like the second time that um i got major feedback it was not so drastic it was more just um again it was writing away from the heart of the story um, and that draft that I sent to him, um, I was still sort of paying attention to like Fritzy being sort of like very neurotic and mm-hmm. very sort of like fixated on certain things. And like she, she describes going to a therapist and stuff like that. And that was problematic in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, again, I was just sort of writing away from the heart of the story, which, and, and the, the thing that he told me was like, um, you know, why this is, I think you're just afraid of writing a story that's been done a million times and mm. of course like every story's been done a million times it's a familiar story it's a loss of love but like just embrace that and yeah. stop trying to make it like add this weird originality which is what i was trying to do with the gunk and it was what i was trying to do with like her being just like this very sort of weird herald type character sure. which if yeah. you read like jonathan stern he's like different story types world herald weird herald is one of them just write a normal story like the and he, the phrase he used was like um familiarity equals power because your reader is already going to like embrace a familiar idea yeah um you can make anything interesting even Mm -hmm. if it's written a million times so that was the major revision from the second major feedback i got so so again moving you even further like into normalcy from like the weird place that you started yes (laughs) i think like i mean a lot of writers are afraid of just writing a boring story yeah. You know, or just like a breakup story or like, mm-hmm. you know, but like it's the, the, um, it's all in the details. You right. Know, how right. you tell it. Right. Well, and I think too, like there's some, I don't know, maybe I'm biased, but I love a breakup story. Um, and any, you're right. It's all in the details. It's all in like the way that you make the same story different or like telling these new characters version of that same story, right. or familiar story. Um, but it's also, it's really funny because it's like, like in some ways, people are afraid of writing the same story and yet there's so many stories where it's like, you know, dude hates his life. Dude yeah. does lonely some shitty thing. Stories. Yeah. yeah. Lonely, <laughs> that Love should be a lonely white guy. Yeah. And so, so I think that like, I don't know, that 
The, well, the, there's always going to be a place for that story. There's always going to be an audience. Yeah, and the answer, I mean, yes, I mean, of course, there's also room for experimentation. You know, right. But the, yeah, but the yeah, answer yeah. is not to just like inject weirdness. Yeah, for, right. Uh, for the sake of weirdness, which was, was, was what the crux of the problem was having with the yeah. story. Yeah, Weird, just, weirdness like, for his own sake is not right. helpful. In the end, and it, like, I, like I described before, in the end, it ended up being that just like they're normal people. It's just that, you know, Fritzy's wired in a way that makes her okay with being single. Mm-hmm. She just feels guilty about sort of like the trail of um, like how it went down. relationships yeah. that, that she's left behind. Well, and I think, yeah. too, like deciding to do it from Fritzy's perspective is in and of itself an interesting choice, too, because she's, you know, she's a little off kilter um in a really interesting way like i said like i found her perspective really fascinating i was like tell me like <laughs> yeah just the way that the some of the things are described through her perspective i thought was really interesting so um having it through coming from her point of view and even she seems to not be 100 percent sure so i think that that's that's the stuff that i love is when we're like getting it from the perspective of this maybe not like a fully unreliable narrator but um a narrator that we like a narrator who doesn't even know their own mind, you know, that, that's mm. still trying to figure it out, and we get to, like, figure it out with them. Yeah. Is that a helpful comment? I don't even know what I'm saying. I think that anymore. made sense. Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> Let's read the uh, polished piece. Yeah, I mean, really, really quickly. It oh, won't yeah. Be, it won't be a long... No, tell us. Um, read it as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's rolling when I have like I'm on. That's our other podcast. Reading as fast as we can. <laughs> like every time we're emailing shit. Like, <laughs> um, now what was that about? So this is just like I uh, this is a short little blip that I tried to I, I like I said I deleted all the stuff about the gunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of like the the coda to this. It's the same park scene. Only I added like this little paragraph about Thomas coming with her once. So like Fritzy mm-hmm. likes to walk the dog in the park, and eventually Thomas makes like they're toward the end of their relationship, and she's about to break up with him. Um, anyway, I'll just read. Once near the end, Thomas had come along with her and Murph during their walk to the park. He'd taken a personal day, claiming he needed to catch up on errands. It was early morning, and the path was deserted. She doesn't remember remember much of her conversation. Only that Thomas did most of the talking. He was over-eager for them to have a day together. As they walked, he pointed out the architectural sins of nearby houses that she walked past every day. At the bridge, Fritzy stared down at the water and let the noise trash away her thoughts. Murph was impatient and sat whining at the ridiculous flock of geese honking clustered on the horizon. She was struggling to keep him healed when Thomas began rubbing her shoulders. The grip of his hand startled Fritzy so badly that she let go of the leash, and Murph tore off toward the pond. She yelled angrily at Thomas. Why did you have to do that? His cuddliness had been a recent development, a habit he'd formed over the previous months. Rubbing and whispering was all it seemed he wanted to do. Fritzy couldn't shake how happy he seemed, or satisfied. Maybe that was the better word. She felt pressure to keep up with all of his satisfaction. And this both frightened and infuriated her, because it felt like a competition that was fixed for her to lose. As Thomas retreated to the middle of the bridge, Fritzy watched Murph, the leash skimming over the grass behind him. She had always been a little nervous that Murph would one day make a kill, and as he neared the flock, he didn't let up like he normally did. The goose had its wings spread wide, and as Murph bore down, the wings collapsed around him like a hug. Later that morning, Thomas found her sobbing in the bathtub, cleaning the blood from Murph's muzzle. A month later, Fritzy began packing up her things. Okay, so um, I, I tried to make it a bit more subtle, so I mm-hmm. also tried to add... 
um, Thomas's sort of like cloying behavior mm-hmm. toward the end. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just pushed her farther away. Um, this is already over. And then so like she's on her daily, she's in her space going to the mm-hmm. park. And here Thomas is like um, invading. Invading. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. number five, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like he, it's almost like he senses that the end is coming and he's like being he's extra. Desperate. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, your life. Uh, if anybody's been through a bad breakup, like, who among us hasn't? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't. Like, you should not. You need to give her space or yeah. give him space, and then, but you can't. You just, you like, have to make it happen. Right. And so, like, it's the last thing you should do. And so, that's sort of like what breaks them up, which is, it's, I think it's, it's more subtle. Uh, but then there's still like this, like, um, I wanted to have like um, a moment that made you remember this scene. And so like Murph tearing off and killing this goose. Yeah. Um, Heartbreaking. The, the scene of her cleaning the muzzle at the end mm-hmm. is like, it's so sad. Yeah. And so like, um, it, it's sort of like what needed to happen. It sort of like wakes her up a little bit. Like yeah. the universe is speaking to her at the end. So she starts backing for things. And then. What I was able to do, so I'll skip down to the end, is bring this image back to the end mm-hmm. um, so that it kind of hits home what I'm trying to do. It, it, is, a, it is a symbol. Mm. It's a metaphor <laughs> for them, right? Um, so, like, at the end, like, we t- talked briefly, like, uh, she's had this... Uh, I changed it in the final version. She mm-hmm. talks to Dave on the phone, her current sort of douchebag boyfriend, um, and she kind of breaks up with him over the phone, even if he doesn't realize it <laughs> to the end here. Um, but so she's talking to him and so like halfway through she's like she realizes like I can't like this is over with too mm. she, um, and so she kind of ha- she kind of goes on a little uh, soliloquy that uh, she's like she's no longer talking to, to Dave she's kind of talking to herself yeah so here she is on the phone with Dave oh and maybe you probably need to know so during the game <laughs> like uh, there's a home run they're outside the stadium and they they weirdly like uh, retrieved the home run ball and the ball uh, Thomas gives to her and it's sort of supposed to be like this um, symbol of him trying to like get her back, get her back right yeah. um, so he's, she's talking about the ball here and after all that he gives the ball to me just gives it up tosses it to me like I'll know what to do and the whole time I'm thinking he should keep it for himself because I'll just end up losing it but I'll tell you something I was wrong I didn't lose it in fact it's sitting on his kitchen counter right now where I used to open the mail I'm driving home right now without it, but at least I know where it is. You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. Every baseball ever winds up rotting in a shoebox, up in the attic with the rest of the odds and ends. There's a beeping sound and then silence on the other other end. Anyway, I got to go. I got to go, and I'm sorry. Fritzy tosses her phone onto the passenger seat and rolls down all the windows. The night air is saturated, and she can feel the moisture collecting on her skin. She keeps both hands on the wheel and watches the center strip tick by. To quiet her mind, she thinks about Murph and that day in the park, what it must have been like spring toward that goose, the one you selected from among the flock, what it must have been like to, get, to give in, to not break stride, to carry through with your intention to kill, that instinct that started you running in the first place. And that's the end. So like... The <laughs> Uh, so like I was trying to like bring it back to that scene in the park, um, you know, if she had it her way, she would have that instinct to kill him, but kill like it, like mm-hmm. just dive in and, and be in that healthy relationship, but she can't, she just, she's not that, she doesn't have that instinct. She doesn't have, she's not built that way. That desire to go all in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The, the symbol for love becomes murdering a goose. <laughs> <laughs> like what 
commitment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, the goose hugs the dog. In his dying as throes. As it's being murdered, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. So. It's a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor. Um, so, yeah, like, um, explaining your metaphors. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. It's like jokes. It <laughs> yeah. makes them makes funnier. Them makes better. them better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we kind of have touched on a lot um, in this conversation. So, I think what I'm most curious to hear you talk a little bit more about is um, what this story taught you about drafting and editing and the process of like getting from point A to point B really because it does sound like it was you know you had some twists and turns and there was some frustration for sure um and in the end relied a lot on workshop and and good readers yeah and if this is if this is normal or abnormal as as part of your writing process normally I would say, I mean, other than the fact I just talked about how this is weird and that I had like this weird germ that I tried to build <laughs> the story out from, the revision process, once I cut that, once I was able to, like, you heard the expression, you get to kill your darlings, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I killed my darlings in this. I saw somebody tweet the other day funny, a funny thing about, like, I don't actually kill my darlings, I save them into a separate folder, like, <laughs> which is totally true. Until they die of like, natural causes. Gunk is yeah. in, like, Called some orphans. folder somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. Um, but I was able to do that. Like, I mean, I think... That is the most challenging thing for me. It's true. Like you get, especially when you when you draft a whole story and you workshop it, you feel like workshop is great. But one of the downsides I think that can happen if it's a negative workshop is that it it makes you cling. Like if you get too much harsh criticism, it makes you I think cling closer to mm-hmm. what you wrote mm-hmm. in a weird way. Because um, you're like you just don't get it, right? <laughs> Which you know you need to yeah let that go yeah um so i mean this i think this is a similar process in that like most like i said like my stories i overwrite and then i cut um but what i've learned through like workshop is is, i mean i've had mostly healthy workshops ut's had a great supportive faculty and the students have been great uh, my colleagues yeah um is learning how to sort of like yes you have to you need to like cut that you need to like even though you like this was the beginning of your story mm-hmm. that's what's killing your story yeah like um and by the time I had written this I had enough workshops where it was like um you know it wasn't that big a deal yeah to get rid of it but I you know like I said it was a learning process mm-hmm. do you feel like you now with like with your writing your current writing are you more able to see what the darlings are or no. do you still yeah rely on that outside reader well yes i'm lucky enough to have a very supportive wife who's also also has an (laughs) ma uh in in uh creative writing um so she's like my first reader so she catches a lot of that stuff too but honestly like the best reader for me sometimes is just fucking time man Mm. Mm. um you like the the old adage of like putting a story in the drawer right and then taking it back out again i mean I don't know. I guess after I've gone, I've gone back to stories two years later, where it was like, why the fuck was I so concerned about keeping this dumb paragraph in here? Yeah, it's like right. bogging things down. Just cut it. And like after two years, you can do that way more easily. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I definitely have like a pile of stories that I tell myself don't look at until 
you've forgotten what the story's even about anymore. Yeah, because you feel too precious about it. For that's, sure. That's how, mm-hmm. that's what I do is I like. I do that a lot. <laughs> write a line that I'm like, this is the most beautiful line and it is exactly what I, gets to the heart of what I mean. And then everyone's like, so I got a little lost here. And I'm like, yeah. ah, fuck. You know, it's like the exact thing that you. You're like, that line was so good. It helped you write the rest of the poem yeah. good. Right. And then everyone hates that line. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just ties it up too neatly. Anyway, all which is just to say, like, I I think that that's true in all writing, that there's always going to be some part that you feel connected to either because it's, like, beautifully written or it's an interesting idea or it's, like... Or it really happened. Or it really happened. <laughs> that's a big, that's a big <laughs> Yeah, one. that's a big one. You're like, no, but this is real. Right. Like, I saw this guy. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, I think that that's a pretty universal experience. Yeah, it really is. Which is not to say it's like always necessary to cut them. Always, always. But like most of the time it seems to be the case. How do you guys feel? I saw another thing on Twitter the other day that I thought was kind of interesting. I know. Uh, Twitter. Twitter. The place for writers who are procrastinating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, How do you guys feel about the idea of drafts anymore? Should I tell you what I'm thinking before I make, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I don't uh, know how to answer the question. Yeah, sorry. I was setting you up to like, <laughs> I got you. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I saw somebody tweet the other day. It was like, why do we still, like, the idea of drafts is some is like kind of antiquated. I'm not sure if I agree or not, but like antiquated, an antiquated notion back to when people were using typewriters. It, mm. Since like word processes have happened, like people don't actually type drafts anymore. Like it's a continuing sort of, that's how I write. I write very, I have like my biggest challenge for me is to not edit as I write mm-hmm. um, to get it out mm-hmm. which I'm struggling with right now but like um, <laughs> but I kind of agree with that like I, I just got done saying I wrote this story probably 12 times yeah no but it wasn't like I started it over each time right mm-hmm. I went through and I, I cut and paste and I, I like took a word out here take a sentence out here added a paragraph here it wasn't like a new I mean does that does it even matter if we call it drafts or am I just like being Right, it's just like a, a f- shape that you just add and take away things yes. from. It's not necessarily like, like you don't ball it up and throw it into the trash can. Well, right. so what I so in my it, when I was like in the two years that I was in school, I would literally save, like I would save it version one, version two, version three. Like each new, anytime I made any change, even if it was like I'm so bad at that, but it's punctuation important. or like a line <laughs> or whatever. So I was very literally drafting I don't do that anymore because I work on Google Docs and it automatically saves the things that you change Mm. Um, but when I was just working on like Word on my laptop I would save different versions because I was so scared that I was going to change something and then like want it back you know I heard Um, you and Jeremy talk about this too yeah yeah the folder within a folder within a folder yeah Mm -hmm. and so it's like you know since there's some of my poems especially some of my poems that I like feel the most precious about or the most um like you know felt like I was really doing something important in that poem that I have the most versions of because I'm afraid I'm like you know or I'm like I'm gonna try this out this like cuckoo bananas idea where I like put the second stanza and you know and so put the second stanza first and then move all the stanzas around and then I'm like okay but now I don't like that what did I do before you know Mm -hmm. um and so anyway so so then if you are setting it aside for two, three months, you can come back to it and see all the different iterations it's gone through, which is interesting. 
but a lot of fucking work. <laughs> um, right. So I don't, like I said, I don't do that anymore. But I do understand, I guess I understand that it's like not physical in the same way that no, it used right. to be. But I it's, still think of it in versions. I still think of it as like, this is now a different thing than it was. I did, I did that when I brought the shitty draft and the polished draft. Right? Yeah. And I, there were like five different files. Right. So I guess that, that's true. There are, I mean, that, yeah, there are drafts. But they're just, is it just as simple as they're just different files? They're just like know. digital versions. I guess. Of, yeah. But I mean, there are probably also like maybe that person who tweeted that is a person who doesn't just save like, versions, you know, who just like goes just in an and, animal, yeah, chaos yeah. muppet, yeah. and just. <laughs> you know, I have heard people say that they have done like wrote a story and then forgot, like purposely, like then just like wrote it again from scratch. Mm-hmm. That makes me want to like rip your toenails yeah, out. Right. I would like would rather <laughs> rip each nail like, out of no, the No, but I already bed. wrote it. It's oh, over there. My God. No, like, seriously. Like I would never like that Oh no, that gives me like But I probably should do that. It's a good strategy. I know. I just feel like it's it's that's like a different project. You know what I mean? Like that's not like drafting. That's right. like trying a new trying to write a new story the one thing that i kind of intrigued by by that process like it would take like i i can't imagine like the willpower it would take me to just like write it from scratch again i would probably, probably do it but the reason i think it may be helpful is that like you kind of remember what you wrote yeah but you are forced to sort of like as you're remembering what you wrote like you it's you're less in the groove mm. so like that's one problem i have when i'm writing sometimes i feel like i'm like i'm in in a rut with it mm-hmm. and like if i get too far out of the rut i'm just gonna digressing for 50 pages right. before i get <laughs> just get back into the rut so that would be a way of like maybe almost like writing with a second pair of eyes or like i don't know you're writing it like second hand yeah so it like handicaps you a little bit. I don't know. I feel but like it, it it's kind frustrating. Of like, right, editing as you go. It's like the same concept of like editing as you write. I feel like though, because if you remember the story and you're, but you're not telling it the exact same way that you told it before, you're editing it the story in your mind. And sort of. It. I think the point of it though is that you can't remember exactly what you wrote, and so you're having once you get over that frustration of not being able to remember the order of the words that you wrote, then you just like put that aside and figure out how to describe it in a different way or whatever way comes to you. Yeah. Like your second thought. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's true. And they do say like one of the things that one of the most helpful pieces, pieces of advice I got in poetry, I think this was even in undergrad, my undergrad poetry class was like, when you're trying to think of a word to describe something, like think of the first word that comes to your mind or think of the first, write down the first 10 words that come to your mind and then use the 11th, you know? Okay. Like, or feel like if you just right click and go to, go to the, the synonyms. Thesaurus, yeah. 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 Um, but like, but like that, like if you, you know, you want to call like it a glistening brow. Okay, well that's sort of tired, right? So like what's another word for glistening or what's another way to describe that? And suddenly you're like talking about the... Are we allowed do, to talk about dewdrops anymore? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm not coming up with a new thing. They're real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The sweat, like, specks of, 
glitter. I, you know, that's terrible. But that's beautiful. I know you. I know what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. But go. <laughs> but instead of going with your immediate like knee jerk to go exactly. to, to go to the next thing that's going to be weirder or like more of an association rather than like the immediate synapse response of like which I think what's I, easy. That's my when I'm doing well. I do that, but it's also why it takes me a jillion years to write anything. Right. Because I'm terrified of writing a bad sentence. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. That's why I gave up on fiction entirely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have like one fiction professor that's like, in fiction, every sentence counts. And if it's not going towards Fuck the off. end, oh throw it out. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> no <laughs> problem. Suddenly I understand flash fiction. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Old adages. I don't know. Yeah. I have a, well, and they're all bullshit anyway. <laughs> like every, every word in every novel was put there for a reason. No. Like, yeah. That's I mean, what novels are like. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Well, and I had a I had a fiction teacher again in undergrad do the whole like bring in his like binder of drafts and like flunk it on the table and be like, if you're not writing for two hours every morning, you're not. Blah. And I was like, you're <laughs> you are a tenured professor professor at a very wealthy liberal arts college in Omaha, Nebraska. You have a wife who takes care of your children. Yes. You are in like the most right. privileged right, right, right. situation in the world. And that is the only reason why you can st- sit here and tell me that I should be writing for Like no one has to, no one except for a white man. Yes. Who's a tenured <laughs> professor who's only teaching upper level classes. And who's frustrated with the time. unseriousness of his students. Mm. Right. And who's like doesn't own a television or whatever the fuck. He, like, listens to everything on vinyl. Like, those are the only people <laughs> who have the time to write two hours every day. Like, it just makes me so pissed off. You're showing about but, this. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but, but the thing is, when I was an undergrad, I took that to heart. And I was like, yeah, fuck, I'm not right. a real writer. I'm right. not ready for two hours every day. Yep. But that's not how everybody works. Ugh! <laughs> I agree. Adages. Adages. by Bryn. <laughs> and rant. Anyway. Have I told you how, how I write? <laughs> No, I get up tell. every morning. I write for two hours. I'm just kidding. Wow. At the crack of dawn, yeah, five a.m. I go for a walk. <laughs> I ch- at five a.m. I wake up. I squeeze my orange juice fresh from the tree outside my bedroom window. Then I take my dog for a walk. Check and when Twitter. I come back, <laughs> I cook a hearty breakfast of bacon, eggs, and homemade bread for my partner, who is waking to the smell of freshly brewed coffee. Yes. And then. <laughs> No one. Ever. I mean to like in my head. I'm like I'm gonna fucking write today. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm gonna get up and write. Yeah. Uh, like I don't know. I'm s- I'm so deadline oriented that I'm like I have to be like it's 4:45. I now have until 5 p.m. when I leave work to write a poem. You know, like I have to make up my own weird arbitrary deadlines. Yeah. And that's the only thing that forces me to get a half a draft like out. I'm like, what if I write the story in my head and then just go to sleep? <laughs> oh, man. Like, yeah. I'm, in a, I'm in a dark place writing-wise. That's why I've started a podcast with my pal Bryn here. <laughs> I cannot. Like, if I'm going to go to sleep, I cannot. Like, I thought, well, maybe tell, like, I have trouble sleeping. I'm yeah. Right. Like, but, like, uh, like go, go through possibilities for how to end your story mm-hmm. like no then my mind just like i can't i can't yeah like, you're never gonna get <laughs> no i have to think about like um what do i think about i think about like uh every embarrassing moment you've ever had but i have to think of, like boring shit like yeah like uh, i don't know the 
baseball scores or something mm. or like you know uh, yeah bills bills <laughs> puts me right to sleep gets <laughs> my heart pumping with anxiety we got a letter today that we didn't pay our taxes but we did we did like you heard it here first folks no. <laughs> put it on record <laughs> listen up government <laughs> <laughs> the Julie Dyson house did pay their rent. Or we did. There's receipts. <laughs> That's really annoying. I know. It's like adult shit. That would also put me into a tailspin of panic. Yeah, you're mom, not sleeping now. My mom still does my taxes. So. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Barb. Barb, Lance, what are you working on now? What's what are you what are you up to? Uh, so I'm trying, so, oh my God, I've been trying to tell everybody that I know for accountability reasons and what better way to have accountability than to say it on a podcast. I'm trying to get my first draft of, uh, my novel done this summer. So like, I want to finish thing. Yeah. So you guys can, um, keep. Tweet at Lance. Oh my God, that's the the ultimate accountability, right? (laughs) Yeah. We'll be on Um, Novel Watch. But so like Novel it's like, watch, yeah, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what I'm working on. Working right on your now, novel, which is just yeah. like a whole other barrel beast. Yeah. Um, are you? Do you have like a page number, or is it just more like when it's done, it's done? Uh, when it, I have, boy, I work better with like an outline. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know exactly how it's going to show. I'll know when it's done because I know there's, like, here's, okay, here's a good metaphor. I know that there's a hole that needs to be filled. Okay. Right? Um, and so, like, I have, to, I, I have to keep shoveling dirt into it until, until it's, it's full. full. Yeah. I just don't know. How deep the hole is. Right. Yeah. How much dirt you need. That's, a, that's yeah, I don't know <laughs> how deep the hole is. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but I'll know when it's done. I don't even know, like, I have a general idea of how things are going to sh- shape up, but, yeah. like, I don't want to let. I don't want to be too like, yeah, prescriptive. You right. never know till you get there. It's sort of like when your grandma gives you a recipe and it's like bake until done, and you're like, right? What? Thanks, you mom. Okay, yeah, I'll know what that looks like. We're all Probably. about metaphors today. <laughs> yeah, we really are. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, the one other thing I want to say is this piece. The final draft of this piece got picked up. You said. Yeah. So where can we maybe find it soon? Oh no! Later? It, it, it was uh, this was published last year. Oh, it's so it's been yeah, published. Cool. Yeah. out in the world. Yeah, it was in where Southern Indiana Review. Southern Indiana Review. Mm-hmm. Um, is it online? No, it is okay. not. There we'll was. link you print. to the Southern Indiana Review website yeah. where you can search Lance. Dizak and find this the full story. Or just call curious. me. I'll come over and read it to you. Yeah. Wow. Or just tweet it, Lance. Tweet the whole thing. Just tweet your novel. <laughs> tweet Lance, your story. Lance will tweet it. And I refuse to download right. the Twitter app because it eats all your batteries. Yeah. Um. So I can't. I can't thread a tweet. But otherwise, oh, I would annoying. do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, well that's just, a good reason. You can just DM them the attach. I don't know if you can DM attachments. Anyway. I'm sure you um, can. Speaking of Twitter, um, where can people find you? Oh, sure. It's just uh. My name, L-A-N-C-E-D-Y-Z-A-K underscore on the At, Twitter. On the Twitter. Yeah. Is that the only um, location you, you wish, where you wish to be found? Pretty, yeah, I'm not on the Facebook. I'm okay. not on the gram. Yeah. Do you have a website? 
Not really. No. Twitter folks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> One trick pony. Um, great. So that sounds very healthy, by the way. <laughs> well, you it just think. means that he, I was gonna say it just means that he has an unhealthy relationship with Twitter. Yep. <laughs> you wouldn't imagine how much time you can spend creating a website. It's uh, wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's the way you can procrastinate writing your novel. Uh, create yourself a website. Mm-hmm. Anyway, or a podcast. Or po- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, great diversion from your writing life. Anyway, um, and on that note, you can find us at SFD Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to email us to tell us about just how much you love um, our faces, I mean, our voices, my, my rants, um, Lance's story. Uh, poopsie. Po- the word I've poopsie? Gotten off, um, yeah, I've gotten off the rails here. Um, yeah, and just tell us all about it. Tell us all about it as, at sfdpodcast at gmail.com. Um, that's where you can find us, folks. Come say hi. Follow us on things. Interact with us on things. And don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> I always say that like it's a YouTube video, <laughs> but it's not. Hit that like button. Smash that like button <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe. Anyway, thanks, Lance, for coming Absolutely. on Thank the podcast. Um, Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>